Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hi, everyone. This is Richard Gunther. On this episode of the Smart Home Show, my co-host Adam Justice and I join three other podcasters for a roundtable discussion about the state of HomeKit. We discuss how we think HomeKit is doing compared to the competing ecosystems, how well HomeKit is living up to its promise, and we bring some individual hopes and concerns to the table as well. We had a great time talking with Dan Vincent and Jake Pugh from Icon Garden and Zach Haw from 9to5Mac for this special episode. We think you're going to enjoy this discussion, and I hope you'll consider subscribing to their respective shows too, if you like what you hear. Everybody, and welcome to a special collaborative podcast between not one, not two, but three different shows all in one room. I'm amazed that this has managed to work, uh, given my not having done this many people before, but so far so good. We've got three shows going on. Uh, we've got the Icon Garden here. We've got myself. I'm Dan Vincent, and I've also got uh, my co-host with me, Jake Pugh. Hey, Dan. And also, we've got uh, Zach Hall from 9to5Mac joining us. Hey, everybody. And we also have Adam Justice and Richard Gunther from the Smart Home Show. Richard and Adam, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. You know, we're going on all three different places. Zach has been a guest on our show before. But we have not been guests on Adams and Richards show before, and they haven't been on ours before. So I figure, you know, for everybody's uh, listening pleasure for all of our audiences, uh, why don't we go around and just give a quick uh, introduction to ourselves and what we're doing today? Uh, this is going to be a special home kit kind of state of the union, you know, beginning of 2020 post CES and halfway through our iOS 13 lifecycle kind of, you know, review thing we got going on here. Uh, myself, I'm Dan Vincent. I'm one of the hosts of the Icon Garden. Uh, I'm not really into HomeKit that much, although I just moved to a new place, which I'm already starting to think about doing some automation things for. So, you know, it's Do a perfect. It. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Perfect opportunity to get into some of those things. We'll go around. We'll start with Jake and then Zach and then Adam and Richard and Everybody just introduce yourselves. Hey, everybody. I'm Jake Pugh. I'm the other host of the Icon Garden and very definitely in the uh, heavy consumer area of, uh, of HomeKit. Uh, as, as people listening to our show might be aware, uh, we recently moved into a new house and project number one and project ongoing is to basically HomeKitify uh, my entire house, the, uh, the current map of which is available on our website for those who want to follow along at home. If there's a HomeKit device, I've probably tested it. So that's that's kind of my bona fides for this whole thing. Sounds like a challenge. We got to find a HomeKit <laughs> device you've never tested. That's right, including most of the ones from uh, you know from ConnectSense. So nice. Hey, I am Zach Hall from Nine to Five Mac dot com. I host the Nine to Five Mac Happy Hour podcast and the Nine to Five Mac Watch Time podcast. 
I've been in HomeKit since Hue released their bridge that made their Hue Smart Lights HomeKit. And ever since then, I've been obsessed with populating HomeKit apps, including Apple's Home app since it came out with as many categories as possible. Part of my job is I can um, see news as it happens and be up to date on it and request things to try out and uh, a lot of um, easy entry into trying things out and then buying more of what I like. So it's a, it's a really cool uh, role to be in. Like Jake, I bought a new house last fall. What I thought would be like a four-week process of, of HomeKitify has been like four months and counting. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, things take a while. So here we are. Uh, so Adam Justice, co-host of the Smart Home Show and CEO of ConnectSense. So our space in the, the HomeKit world um, claim to fame. We were actually the first product ever HomeKit certified. Badge Ooh. of honor. We weren't uh, we weren't the pro- first to ever get to market, but um, but we've been doing HomeKit products for you know as long as it's been around, and um, so a lot of interest in the space um, from a business standpoint, as well as I just try to live all this stuff um, in my daily lives. So just like you guys, I have a, a house full of a bunch of different stuff, which I you know call a business expense because we got to <laughs> test it, got to live right. it. <laughs> All right. And I am Richard Gunther. By day, I'm a product experience consultant. And by night and weekend, I'm pretty much a smart home geek. I co-host the Smart Home Show with Adam. I also host a show called Home On. And I have been writing about and using HomeKit stuff pretty much since round one with Lutron, Ecobee, Instion, Elgato, and I believe it was iHome were the first five. iHome is still around, aren't they? I think they're still doing things. They are indeed, yes. All of those companies survived. Not all of them survived HomeKit, though. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The dark days when everybody was trying their own ecosystem. I remember walking into Home Depot, (laughs) and they had their own attempt. You know, uh, Lowe's had their own attempt, and... uh, I think that was when I decided that uh, it was HomeKit or bust, and I was only going to play in one ecosystem. Well, that brings us probably to a good place to start off because, you know, we just had a raft of new announcements and other things that went on because CES 2020 was just a mere couple of weeks ago, and all all of the majors came out and made a, a bunch of announcements. We've got new products from pretty much everybody, as well as the Apple, Zigbee, Google, you know, that kind of alliance that they're starting to do on the protocol stuff. So it's probably a good place to say, you know, where do we feel right now the kind of state of the union, let's say, for HomeKit is? How do we feel the companies came out after CES? Where do we think they're going to go in 2020 in terms of their support? All all that kind of stuff. Yeah, if you would have asked me in like in iOS 8 era where we would be by 2020 with HomeKit, I would have thought that we'd be a lot further on right now. Um, but then mm-hmm. it's also been proven that, you know, like, like an announcement will take about a year to hit the market at, at soonest. And so HomeKit requires a lot of patience. And, and with that kind of lesson learned in the first couple of years of HomeKit, I'm, I'm kind of surprised at how many just categories there are of HomeKit things. The, uh, connected home over IP was like kind of a curveball. And like, do you need to continue paying attention to, to HomeKit? Like for Jake, for example, you know, you're all on HomeKit. So, that that can be kind of a, a question mark of what's the future of HomeKit if there's also going to be this bigger umbrella of connected home over IP with, with 
Google and Amazon, um, involved and, um, kind of, kind of what I've come to think of, of connected home over IP is that it will be like the lowest common denominator among smart home platforms. And then everyone agrees on, on those features. But if you want anything more specialized, then you'll have, you'll still have your home kit. You'll have your Amazon Alexa and your Google home stuff. So, but, and that also feels like it's probably a couple of years out from anything, you know, coming of it, if it ever does. I tend to think on that one, uh, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind is that XKCD comic about yet another, uh, <laughs> standard and, and, and the, uh, and the inevitable fallout there. So I, I, re, I remain, uh, hopefully optimistic, but, uh, realistically skeptical that anything will come at that. And I'm not, I'm not ready to give up my home kit dreams just yet. Same, uh, uh, similar feeling on the standard, uh, it seems promising. Um, it gives me a little bit pause about kind of what the investment from these companies is going to be mm-hmm. going forward. You know, are people going to pour a lot into their own platforms or they're going to wait and see, um, where these things go. Uh, I wanted to touch on something Zach said, which is like stuff gets announced and, Things take a little while. I think, you know, uniquely have a little bit of context on that in developing products for this space. You know, what happens is we have an announcement from Apple. We'll use um, secure video for for a good example. Mm -hmm. And so Apple says, all right, here's this thing, secure video. Likely, they've already been talking to some people about it in the background. But usually the, the way these things go is Apple puts a standard out there. Then Apple has to work with chipset vendors to support the standard. Often these companies, you know, are not writing stuff from scratch to support this. It's the the chipsets that they use, you know, in our case it's Wi-Fi chipsets, things like that, have to implement these features on their chipset. And then you have to have the brave first soul. <laughs> I know this because this was us. You have to have the brave first soul who goes through that process to get certified. And so it's this dance between Apple chipset vendor and manufacturer trying to make sure they get this all right. And so that's why this stuff takes so long. And that's why this ecosystem isn't bigger than it you know, could be or whatever. It's, it's all in a place of quality, but there are barriers that are real. And it definitely is the reason why HomeKit's the size it is versus, you know, Amazon or, or Google's ecosystems. Those are a lot easier to do and require less effort. So more products integrate with those. And Adam, I, I, as a CEO, I imagine that to um, a couple of things. One, to make the investment in HomeKit, it, it takes time and money. And so there's got to be a risk from a business perspective of, you know, is will this be worth the payoff? Or, you know, will it, will it pay off in time for it to be worth it? That it's gotta be, it's, it's real people's time and energy and as a company money that goes into it for a long way before it pays off. Absolutely. And it's, it's a discussion we've had before of like, is this worth it? And, you know, I think with our, with our last product, the, the in-wall outlet and things like that, you know, the discussion really came down to, listen, this is a differentiating feature. And if you want to have a premium product, I feel like it needs to be there. And I think you got to have all three of those logos on the box to be a, a premium product. And, you know, and look, like we know how to do this. We've done yeah. this a number of times now. Not only have we done it for our own products, we've also done it for other people's products. So, you know, we have a good relationship there. You know, we know what the process is like, but it's still, 
you know, you'd think we'd be better at it by this point, but it still takes time. Yeah. And the other thing I thought about is um, whenever Apple does announce a new spec for HomeKit or just HomeKit in general the first time, they also say, you know, we, we've got HomeKit routers now and these are the three partners and there's no timeline for really when Apple will have their part of the work done and available in the code. And then there's no timeline that they give for when the partners will have their, their work done as soon as it could be. So to be a partner at launch is kind of, it's nice to get a shout out from Apple, but you're also at risk of, you know, there's this home kit like exhaustion where, you know, how long is it going to take? Are you ever going to do this thing? You know, there's some mm. companies that have promised things that just haven't shipped and never will. So in that, and that just like routers, for example, that's the most recent thing. I think Apple only finalized it, you know, a few months ago. And then we're seeing like the first parts of that show up, but it's not here yet. So to be a partner is kind of a double-edged sword where you've got the benefit of Apple promoting your brand, but also you're on the line for Apple's work, which is in this case risky. Yeah. Quick story on that. And then I'll, I'll let other people talk, but yeah, I mean, I think somebody at Apple told me early on about some of the software auth stuff and they were like, you know, we'd love to work with you on this and this would be, you know, good for you guys. And I was like, I ain't going there. Like <laughs> I did not want to be the pioneer on that one. And so, um, <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's that story is real and you have to, as a business, you have to have the justification for it. But to a certain extent, you know, where I'm at on some of that early stuff is like, I'm going to let other people blaze those trails and I'll be a fast follower. And essentially that's what happened with us with the first thing. Like I, I mentioned, we were the first ever past HomeKit. We worked that all out. Everybody that then worked with our chipset vendor that were more experienced at manufacturing overseas products on our back, you know, sped through and got products to market. So you're welcome, guys. Uh, we did all the hard work <laughs> up front and, and then didn't get to see, you know, as much of the payoff. We were still in that kind of second wave. But but yeah, that, that definitely is a real thing. I, I think that timing that you're talking about is something that we always need to keep in mind. And as people who look at this space, we want this stuff to happen soon, right? Like it's in our minds constantly. Consumers, they hear about a standard. They're like, oh, okay, that's nice. And then they probably forget about it because standards have come and gone and merged and split. And who knows what's what these days. But I really believe that as far as connected home over IP, I think it offers a lot of potential both to consumers and to manufacturers but seriously, I don't think a consumer is going to see the benefit of it until at least 22. Yep. So, hmm. you know, we, we have to be realistic about that and be careful not to fall into that trap of, oh, where is Connected Home over IP? They yeah. said it was going to. Yeah. And, and we all do it. Yeah. I mean, I think a great example of that is the the Nest standard. It's, uh, it's not coming <laughs> But that's thread? A thread. Yeah, that took forever. And I don't even really know how much, you know, consumer facing stuff is on that today. But nothing, no, yeah. no, nothing outside of Nest's ecosystem right now. <laughs> and Nest itself yeah. is going to die anyway. And it's going to be who knows what's going to happen with Google and everything else when they start merging those two things. Well, we do kind of know, but a lot of variables there. Yeah, a lot of a lot of moving parts there. Well, and I was going to say, Adam, you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier uh, with this with the software auth stuff. You know, you you mentioned not wanting to be a first mover in that in that space, which makes complete sense. I, my question was going to be, where has that come? Is this seems like you know it continues to be a thing, uh, and it seems like it's matured a little bit, and it's, it does seem like you might be able to 
you know, eliminate some of the chipset issues and, you know, hopefully speed things along. You know, question to you as, you know, someone who's involved in the space from the manufacturing side is how has that worked out realistically? And then the second, I was just going to, just going to be a comment and blatantly, you know, talk about your in-wall outlet for a second and say, you know, give the comment that this is exactly the stuff that I want to see happen more. I want, as the guy who's integrated a whole house, I love to see stuff that you can replace and, you know, not have another dongle hanging off a wall, you know, as a, you know, as, as one builds towards family <laughs> acceptance aesthetics on this thing, you know, much, much, much appreciated on, on that front. Dongle so. hell in a house. Yes. Where, <laughs> what kind of world are we living in now? That is so true. I, I just put some new furniture in a room. And as a result, I had to find a location for two wall warts that basically act as hubs or repeaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And we tried tried our best to do that. And hopefully, you know, NFC and the faceplate also made it so you don't have to keep track of those stickers from the boxes yeah, or the nice manuals, touch. things like that. So, um, yeah, I think on the, the software off thing, you know, I have to, uh, to a certain extent, got to uphold my MFI oath and I can't get in too deep of details. But the one thing I'll say is I think software off makes sense for people on the scale of like a Belkin and a Wemo. But there's a there's a real amount of work and things you have to maintain for it. So the chip itself is not that expensive. And so you're you're basically trading, do I want to pay for a a low cost chip that's part of my bill of materials on the product, or do I want to maintain this cloud software infrastructure that again is going to continue to be subjected as specs change and things like that. So I think for somebody the size of like a Wemo, which really, truly, that's this is who they built that for. You know, they were the first out. As far as I'm aware, I don't know of anybody else who's using it other than them. Um, there might be one or two others. But I think for the most part, you're seeing a lot of people that are still choosing that chip method because they don't have the scale really to justify it. Yep. Something I wanted to uh, comment on too while we're in, in this introduction is that um, my attitude toward HomeKit has changed a little bit ever since buying a house. So with the previous two houses I rented, everything was sort of, it was new stuff. So it didn't need to be perfect because it was just cool that it existed and I was renting. So even if I changed out some hardware, I would just change it back when I moved out. And so if things went rock solid, then I had like built in patience to, well, I'll just replace it later whenever it's the final thing that gets good. And now that I'm a homeowner, when I sort of put something out there, I want it to be perfect, rock solid, and and never have any issues about it, and and know that my family can use it without no response or not available, you know, problems that you can see with some HomeKit things. And it's it's, it's kind of frustrating that in 2020 we're still in that phase where HomeKit. You can't really say that HomeKit is. Uh, I think it's easier to use than Amazon Alexa stuff, and uh, I guess Google Home stuff. But I couldn't say that you're never going to run into issues if you choose the more expensive or less variety option. You'll you'll get a better user experience from the built-in apps and everything. But I, I do have this frustration where now that things aren't temporary in my home, they need to be rock solid. And and we're still at a point where I don't think it's manufacturer's fault. Maybe there's some variable there with implementation, but it seems to be that just what Apple provides there needs to be more there and that they need to just really spend some time on it and, and make it you know, rock solid like I want it to be. Well, Zach, I think you bring up a good point there where looking back over the, the past couple of years and especially as to, you know, some of the features we got last year and things that are pointing towards this year and even the year after is one of the knocks against these kinds of systems, 
deservedly sometimes and undeservedly other times, is that depending on who's building the API, who's building the products, doing all these other things, you have varying skill levels of people who want to integrate this as well as use it. And sometimes the stuff that's being put forward is meant more for, say, someone who is by themselves or putting something together. And how are we feeling in this is something I think all of you will probably have a strong opinion on. Um, how are we feeling about the friendliness of these products to a general non-techie audience these days? Because when they first came out, you know, we started like the Hue lights. I found them, at least in demos and stuff, to be fairly straightforward and other things. But this smart home stuff has grown so much beyond just plain lights and fan controls and other things like that. How are we feeling in terms of the ease of use thing as we're going into 2020? And where do we feel people can improve? And uh, we'll start with uh, Richard on this one and and then Jake and then everybody else can chime in as they see fit. Yeah, this is really my big issue with smart home right now. I think that the onboarding process or the provisioning, I'll use that word even though customers should never, ever hear that word, (laughs) the provisioning of a device in your home is way too complicated now. Now, I, I do believe that HomeKit probably gets closest to simplifying that process and making it fairly straightforward if the product manufacturer has taken advantage of all of the capabilities to do so. There's, It's still possible to buy a HomeKit-compatible device. I'll use LifeX as an example. Mm-hmm. And trying to figure out how to get it to work with HomeKit is just mind-boggling yeah you've got to hide it down in the app to find like a virtual set of code and then the other end of that spectrum is like with connect sense where you've got nfc and that's just a pleasure because it's like i didn't know this could happen where you just put your phone near it and it and it talks to it that's and, and you don't have to worry about losing your code and and connect sense was the first one that i've seen work in practice you know versus you know knowing on paper that that <laughs> that, that was there as an option seeing it in the app or bring your phone near i've never seen that until you know connect sense so yeah on, yeah on that but you know, I was going to echo what Richard said. And, you know, right. I think we've gotten it to the point as long as you've got one, you know, tech person who can do the setup. I think the ease and use once it's set up is, is certainly there. You know, I think the, the Siri implementation has gotten a whole lot smoother. You know, early on we had issues where you couldn't repeat names. So you had to, you know, do weird things with naming different rooms and different devices. You know, my own house is, is a test case. We've gotten to the point where. Once she knows it's there, my four-year-old can operate most of the devices in the house. I'd call that, you know, a win. I think the problem at this point comes, you know, and this is through many, many months, many devices of worth of troubleshooting. And I hope Apple's on the right track here. I think the router is really the the issue in a lot of this stuff in in creating a, either a hellish or a wonderful HomeKit experience. And you know, and I've gone through three sets of routers in the last year, and definitely bears that out. So yeah, I mean, to the usability standpoint. I think one thing that definitely comes to my mind that I still think someone else is doing better is Amazon's ability to group devices. So you group your, uh, you know, I know I've said this before on our show, but I'll repeat it for everybody else's show. But on Amazon, you can make a group. And so a good example would be my bedroom. And so I group one echo with all the lights that are in my bedroom and what that does for you in, in being in a group is then you can then uh, turn off the lights. 
and you don't have to say anything but lights. And because those devices are in a group, it only turns off the lights in that room. I don't feel like HomeKit is there yet and they don't have any of that kind of magic. And I feel like those kinds of features are what makes it more accessible to the people we live with, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in our homes. So I would like to see more of that type of stuff that makes it more livable for people other than those of us who set it up. Yeah. So a couple of things for me, one, one thing I love about HomeKit and have from the start is that it, as long as you do have one technical person in the family, then there's a really cool benefit of you set up the home app, Apple's home app on your device, and it just appears that way for everybody else. So you do all the admin work. And even, you know, another benefit of HomeKit is you can have one device with all of those iPhone apps for updating firmware and doing specialized features with different accessories from different vendors. And you can have like, you know, 15 apps from different companies in one folder. But for everybody else in the home, all they ever have to be exposed to is Apple's home app built into their phone. And they just look at it and it's logically laid out the way that you do it by rooms and things like that. So that, that's really cool. Then from the perspectives of, of, of different users. So like, for example, in my house, we do bedroom for my bedroom. But then for the two kids, we have Emily's room and Rory's room. And it would be cool if they could just say, like somehow say my lights and it's their voice. So it's their lights. And we're getting there with like voice recognition and profiles, but there's still some things that aren't natural yet where they have to say Emily's lamp, Rory's lamp, Emily's room, mm-hmm. Rory's room. Whereas for the parents, it's, it's from our perspective. And, you know, the closest thing to sort of what you can do with Echo, I think the problem there is the HomePod's pricing, because if you've got a HomePod in each room, anything tied to that is that room. So if you say HomePod in the bedroom, turn off the lights, it knows it's that room's lights. But then you've got a $300 speaker in every room to achieve that. (laughs) And that's sort of unsustainable for a two-year-old in a a six-year-old's bedroom and and the kitchen and everywhere else, you know. That's a great point. And that's why... uh... That's why we have more Amazon devices in our house than anything else. It's because of those little dots. And so I would yeah. love the Apple equivalent of an Echo Dot, but I don't know if we're going to get it. Come on, HomePod Mini. Well, and that's <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say, Zach, and, and, and Adam both beat me to it, is, is the HomePod you know, is the only, is the thing that ties the room together like that. And, you know, and it's, it's well known that I've been on a, a bit of an aggressive HomePod search and as, as Best Buy does a, a refer, I've been, you know, pretty aggressively snapping up HomePods whenever I could, you know, get them at what I consider a reasonable price. But that's, you know, neither consistent nor, you know, something you can really plan for. And I think this, a bigger issue I have, I think, with home, HomeKit and illustrated by that the HomePod can do this and that is, you know, Apple has done a pretty poor job in some ways about exposing some of the functionality and really showing, you know, how to use it. And a perfect example is all of the third party apps that can expose so much more in the way of programming and automations than Apple's own home app is. They all show up in in the end and at the at the end of the day back to the home app, but to program especially more complicated automations, you know, you have to get outside, you know, figure out which app will do it, download it, and that seems like a failure on on Apple's part. Much like the, you know, that you can do this from a HomePod, you can do this from the Apple TV, you can do this you know, but there's no way to consistently know that. Yeah, I think that Apple is trying to walk that very delicate balance between complexity and simplicity and yet still giving you a powerful system. And the automation capabilities 
in the home app are a classic example of that. There's so much that you can't do there. I have stories that I told Adam years ago where I used his company's app to create automations between devices because others couldn't do it and home couldn't do it. And you can't expect that your general consumer is going to have that sort of thought process, right? Mm. So what I haven't figured out yet then is, you know, what is that Goldilocks space for Apple to target so that they get enough capability in here that, that it's useful to people, but not so much that it's too complicated for people to use. And I, I think we're starting to see that with some of the shortcut automation that came out this last iOS release. But in my opinion, I feel like they kind of flubbed that a little bit and we didn't, they didn't deliver on what a lot of people expected there. I, I was just going to say, you know, I think what you're seeing here is Apple, Apple provides this, they're trying to provide the best general experience across a number of manufacturers. And so they're going to support this middle of the road kind of broad definition of things. And, you know, and then leave it to the manufacturers to do specialized stuff. I think the best example in our stuff is power readings. We expose to HomeKit, but there's no support for that in the Home app. So if you want to do a power reading based automation, you have to do that in our app or, you know, one of the more specialized apps that can acknowledge that. So either Apple's going to have to decide to support things like that. And obviously there's a dialogue that is constantly had between manufacturers and Apple about those kinds of things, or they're going to have to just stay as it is and say, like, this is the generic experience and build from there. And I feel like that generic experience, they need to move more in the other direction. Uh, I understand where they're coming from. They, they're trying to put something out and be able to not have to do something specialized for each manufacturer, but it's a balance and, and they're, they're going to have to find it. I mean, my thought on that is, this always seems to be the way that we've always had in not just in HomeKit, but Macs and other things is that Apple will always provide a certain level of functionality. And if you're a power user, I don't I personally don't see anything necessarily wrong with a power user wanting to seek out a more powerful app like Home Plus or something else that can expose some more functionality or as long as the back end API has the hooks for things to do what others want to do. I think that's a, a pretty fair trade-off in most cases. I mean, I'm just seeing it as someone who is getting into it, you know, from a very, you know, beginner level and hopefully will get up to the advanced user level. But it's just been my experience in the past that 99% of the time, advanced users are going to suss out a way to do what they want to do regardless and maybe pulling a little bit back from the general user pool and, you know, saying, well, we've got the stuff there for people who want to do it. They know how to figure out how to do it. We'll kind of limit it here for the regular stuff. I mean, that to me seems to be a thought process that they've been doing for years. So it doesn't seem inconsistent with how they've been behaving. Zach, would you would you say that's a theme you see elsewhere, you know, on Apple platforms as well? The thing that gets annoying for me with, with the, the home approach is that, you know, we, we know that they did the first year without having a home app so that they just said, 
here's the SDK. You can use Siri with it or use a manufacturer's app. And like you might use the, the Eve app to control everything else. And it kind of wasn't the point of HomeKit in, in, in my experience. And then once they've got the home app, now they've got a unified experience where this big folder of different apps can now be one built-in app. But what's frustrating there is that there are some things you can only do in the home app. There are some things you can only do in another app like Home Plus. Like uh, I think one of the examples is using a temperature reading to trigger uh, a thermostat. And it's like the home kit supports that, but you can't do it in the home app. And I don't think there's a reason why that should need to be in, mm. in an advanced app. It's something that they they wrote the code for to be able to do. They just didn't write the UI for it. Um, and then they've also got a third app now that you need to kind of punt to, to do more advanced things with shortcuts. And right. so it, if you're trying to do a more uh, feature filled automation, then you will literally go from a point where it's like, you're trying to do it in home app and it says, do you want to do this with, with shortcuts? And then you're in like a whole nother bag of worms where you've got to now be a home expert and the shortcuts, uh, at least like novice <laughs> user. I was just going to say the, the shortcuts thing was a total mess at first. Um, cause it really wasn't clear. Um, what shortcuts was going to be capable of and like if there was going to be this blurry line behind between like could nest implement certain things as like shortcuts and like kind of skirt around the home kit system so i think they've been and even like when we asked questions to them it didn't seem like they definitely knew either. So it feels like it's something they were trying to figure out and, and kind of sort out. So hopefully as shortcuts gets more mature, that story is going to get more mature and it's going to be more clear what makes sense to do where, but yeah, I, I agree that in the beginning it, it got more confusing rather than less. Well, we know the answer now. It's no, you can't do it. Any of the stuff you wanted to do, you can't do. <laughs> Maybe next year, every year. Well, my, my, uh, my, my question, or I guess comments, you know, kind of to what, what Dan was saying about, you know, this is kind of Apple's standard MO, you know, kind of give you the middle of the road and let the power users do what power users do is the question that comes to my mind is, is that the approach that works for home automation? Is that the, the approach to growing this ecosystem. Is that the right approach? I mean, it sounds, it seems to me like Apple needs to decide what they want out of this space. Do they want to get people to the place where, you know, Zach and I and other, other folks are where they're building whole houses, automating, you know, you know, the Z waves and the, you know, whatever the X tens of the world, or do they want to stay a light here, a light there, you know, just kind of hobbyist dabbling, you know, I guess it, What's the what's the end goal here for on Apple's end? Yeah, I think just looking from like the consumer app and more pro app um, perspective, you can say like you've got GarageBand, then you've got Logic, or you've got mm-hmm. iMovie, and you've got Final Cut Pro. But I think with with home automation, there's something just kind of inherently like geeky about it, and that there's not they are doing um, a decent job of making it more like prosumer and, and approachable. Um, but I, it's not the same as like you know using a camera and and you know putting some clips in order. It's still kind of uh, advanced there. And so it's a weird, it's because I think home automations and, and just smart homes in general are sort of inherently geeky. It's, 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 um, that's what makes it frustrating for me to have to go to another level that is like a mystery. There's not like clear text in the home app. You could do this, but you need to go and seek out another app. It doesn't th- seem like it's, um, intentional that way. Like if you use logic, they'll ask you if you came from GarageBand, um, uh, and they're both from Apple. But if you use like home plus, You've got to discover what are the things that you can use in the home app? What are the things that you can only do in the home plus app? 
And is it just building a one-time trigger or are you spending time in both? I, I just can't help but think is, is that they just haven't spent enough time on the home app and that there's maybe been some interest level changes in, internally mm-hmm. that it's like, you know, is it, how much do we really care about this thing from iOS uh, 8 <laughs> now that we're in iOS 13, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and yeah, it's not, it's not gone yet, but it, it and it, it's, I mean, I'm really grateful for home. Can I use it every single day? And my family relies on it. And whenever we moved, it was like, Zach, how quick can you put the lights back? You know, um, how quick can you make these things work? Because they like them just like I do. And there's so many cool benefits, like inviting my mother-in-law to our home app. And so that she can also control things from her, her phone, you know, and unlock the door without having to fiddle with like the locks third party, you know, or their app and, and key codes and everything. So overall, like, I'm really up on HomeKit. It's it's just it is um, sort of uh, frustrating that that it could have been something different by now and hasn't been. Yeah, I think we need to get to the point where Apple has a firm enough handle on how consumers want to use this to perhaps start making some intelligent recommendations. There are a couple of ecosystems that try to do this today. Yonomi is one that I can think of. I believe the Singlid app does this as well. But helping you understand, okay, you have this and this and this. Maybe something you might want to do is put these together to create this automation or noticing that you're always turning certain things off together Mm. at a certain time of day and maybe recommending, hey, do we want to bundle these things into a scene that you can then just turn off on one thing? We're starting to see that from Amazon's ecosystem. And I expect that we'll see it from Google because, frankly, I feel like they're most equipped to pull that off. But Apple hasn't really gone there yet. Yeah, um, there's, there's, that's a really good point, Richard, about how Amazon's sort of done the, the onboarding better, which, which is surprising because their app, just in terms of like the quality of an app, it's sort of even. Oh, it's that, awful. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely really, awful. It's, it's really bad, and uh, it, it kind of concerns me that like my grandparents will go all in on Alexa stuff, and they're using the app with like the text cranked way up, and everything's just truncated, and you know, it's just not a maintain. It's not a. It needs to be redone from the ground up. In, in just in terms of performance, but they are doing some things in iOS 13 that are very small steps and sort of recognizing what Amazon's done. I've noticed that if you add a new accessory, it will try to pick scenes that make sense for it, like good morning and good night, or I'm home or I'm leaving. And it's very preliminary because that's about it. Yeah, those four almost every time. Yeah, those four every time. <laughs> um, and, and then like to your point even further, there's the abode home security system that I've been trying out. And it's it's meant to be a do-it-yourself home... There you go. <laughs> People can't see it on camera, but uh, yeah, R- Richard, Richard just held it up for us to see. The idea of it is that it's DIY. So you pick which parts of the security hardware that you need. So number of windows, doors, et cetera, cam- you know, cameras, that kind of thing. But there's also a do-it-yourself, put-it-together-in-the-software experience that I've found that if you just live in the home app, it, there's a lot of DIY involved where you got to decide what are the like 10 automations that are required to make this actually a home security system, you know, right. wh- whether it's finding the tone for the alarm to, to be from Apple music or if it, what are the different modes. So it's, it, that's a point where I don't know if that should be a Bode's responsibility or Apple's for making a smart security system category, but there needs to be like 
20 preset configurations that you can just say, I want to use those because I'm geeky, but I'm, I'm also like confused by this and having to figure it out as I go. A couple of comments on that. I think, you know, we're talking about actionable, uh, recommendations. I think one of the ones that continues to nag at my, at my brain is, family friendliness for some of this stuff is, and I think they are, they're getting better at it, but it, it continues to frustrate me that to really allow a family to, you know, to have unfettered access to home and, and Siri and activating everything, you really need to, to have the home pod coverage throughout the house. You know, my, my four-year-old, you know, Zach's kids probably don't have Apple watches, probably don't have iPhones yet. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, but, uh, one, one, one has a watch now. One has a watch. Okay. But, uh, you know, so being able to just freely use this stuff, it seems very geared towards individuals and, you know, to really spread. And again, as we said, it's not everybody can afford $300 HomePods spread out through the house. And that seems to be much like geolocations. You know, geolocations are functionally useless to me because you know, when I leave the house, who knows who else, you know, the kids may still be there. My wife may still be there, you know, things like that. So that continues to be one of those things where I think Apple needs to, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe some of they needed to employ some engineers with families to uh, QA some of this stuff. And I know it's a hard problem. But. Quick story, just on exactly what you just said, Jake, super early on, I don't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but early visit to Cupertino, I remember an evangelist at Apple who I sat down and had had lunch with. And he talked exactly about that of like, we can't leave wives in the dark, in the cold, you know, you know, through this. So it was something they were thinking about. Like, we need to make sure that this is something other people, you know, who are, you know, at home are, you know, not adversely affected by. Because if that happens, then it's gone. It's done. It's not going to be allowed to be around anymore because you got to make a good experience for everybody in the home. Yeah, but that really only works if you're an Apple device carrying family mm -hmm. member right. right now, unless you have HomePods everywhere. And that's the problem. What I, what I was going to say earlier is, you know, when we talk about that kind of setup and automation process, one thing that I seem to remember, and it's been so long because I did buy the Ecobee when it first came out, was that they actually preceded some scenes for the Ecobee in HomeKit. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really clever. They came up with some scenes to like reset back to the normal temperature or, or the default settings. I think they also preceded something in Away and Home since that was their mode. So that's something that I haven't seen any other manufacturer do. And it strikes me as something that would be useful. How you do that in a way that doesn't confuse users, particularly maybe even power users that already know, look, these are the scenes that I made. Yeah. Where's this other stuff coming from? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't even know how we would go about that if we wanted to do that. So that's a good question for my next meeting with them. But yeah, I think that's a great idea to like, as a manufacturer to be able to like give some suggestions of like, Hey, you know, when this happens, do this or, you know, whatever. And, and give users something, you know, something to get their brain going or, or just a suggestion on how they it might be useful to them. So I think this actually leads to a very good thing that I was thinking about in my, you know, moving into my new place and thinking about, okay, what are my opportunities to automate and other things here? And aside from thinking about the, 
the most obvious one right now is the combination fan slash light that's in the living room and something I've decided I already hate because uh, apparently all these fan controllers that are out there already, this one must be 20, 25 years old. They all use radio frequency. <laughs> if it had just used infrared, I could use my Harmony remote. It's like, oh, I, I can control it that way. But now I have to seriously think about it and say, okay, I have to, because the current situation will not stand. I do not like the the remote for it. I don't like the controller. I like nothing about it. So that's probably going to be the first project I do is to get that fan and ceiling light onto something that I can just bark a command at for it to turn on and off. But looking around the house and seeing some other opportunities gave me a thought in between seeing what Jake was doing with his house and also what Zach had mentioned about the last time he was on the show is where do we see further opportunities for things to be automated? You know, we've got blinds, we've got thermostats, we've got lights, we've got fans, you know, we've got the security stuff, the doorbells, the video, you know, showers. Interest. I I want to hear more about that. <laughs> I, I still need one. There's one thing I haven't tried. Does anyone I, here have one of the Moen showers? Do you love it? I do. Do you like I'm it? Yeah. Way. Well, so okay, so well, I mentioned earlier we uh, we we worked on. We've also done other people's home kit products. That's uh, one of them. So uh, Moen is a client of ours, and so I was lucky enough that they gave us one. So awesome. I can say awesome. yeah in the morning, turn on the shower and. And she listens. Um, but yeah, that's probably the craziest one I have in my house. See, that's something I hadn't even thought of, like, you know, water fixtures and other things. I mean, I know they have sprinklers and stuff that can be part of it. I think this is a question of not necessarily can something be done, but rather more of imagination. Like, I hadn't even thought that that thing could be possible. But I think you guys would all have equal <laughs> thoughts about, you know, what are holes in the market that, you know, each of you, you know, would like to see filled. And We'll start with Zach and we'll we'll go around the horn. Yeah. So for me, it's one of the things where I do rely on uh, Siri shortcuts for and if this, then that with robot vacuums. And that's probably my favorite automation gadget in the whole house is the uh, <laughs> is, is the iRobot Roomba. And it's the one with the, the bin that it like empties itself into. And so Ooh. every few months you change the bag out. You never have to do maintenance on it. It's really cool. And it's amazing. We, right. And so we've got pets and we've got kids. And so it. I mean, to run that thing three times a week is just, it gets, it does work that I don't have to do. You can't, there's, there's no home kit association with it, but there, there is a way. The first time I saw it was on Max Stories from Federico Vitici, where he had this tutorial of how to connect if this and that and web hooks with Siri shortcuts. And then you can make like pre canned, um, commands. You know, it's not flexible, but it's not flexible. Like you can't say, you know, go vacuum, but you've got to, you've got to program what you want to say each time. But but that needs to be a category where there's there's more than just iRobot for robot vacuums. And I would love to see that be a category from Apple. And then they have partners, whether, you know, I forget some of the other, other company names, but that's just a big one where it doesn't work yet. And it's just the automation tab is just, it's right now we do automation. We do um, like 9 a.m. on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But I would love for it to be when the last person leaves on a weekday, things like that, where there's just no interruption to it. And hmm. and the automation section is, is full of that kind of potential, but it's not a category yet. Yeah. W one of the things that I really want to see is more along the lines of what Amazon is doing with room-based control. I honestly believed that when there was all the scuttle about Apple looking into beacons and uh, trying to maybe introduce some sort of presence and 
and interior location detection into their model, that that was going to get us there, that we'd be at the point where you could just walk down the hall and depending on the time of day or night, it would know to turn lights on and maybe how bright and how long they should stay on. And that would depend on maybe who it is who's walking down the hall. That sort of stuff should be entirely possible today, but it would be way too difficult to set up. And it it seems like if there were a way of managing presence better, mm-hmm. and I honestly thought this is why they were they included Bluetooth as one of the radios that they supported in HomeKit, that that's something that could be done in in a fairly straightforward fashion. Richard, you semi stole what I was going to say, but oh, uh, I'll, 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 I'll just add on to it. So I think, you know, we saw that ultra wideband radio being mm-hmm. included in mm-hmm. the, the iPhone chip. 11. Yep. The U1 chip. And, you know, it's so far it's crickets as to what that's for or what we're going to do with that. And I think I, that was going to be my thing too, is I think presence in the home is the killer app that's going to really take some of this stuff to the next level. And, you know, that that U1 chip is really intriguing to me because I think that's a great use of ultra-fine location within the home, which would let you get there. And, you know, the, the big rumor was that they were going to go after Tile and do their own Tile Tracker, which I would love because I think even with that, if we could buy a tile-like device from Apple, you could literally just stick one of those in each room and you could get this done, provided you keep your iPhone 11 in your pocket. Really, what would be nice would be if you had that with an Apple Watch and then anybody with an Apple Watch moving throughout a home, you know, even if you don't have your phone on you. Uh, I know generationally, you know, some people more than others keep their phone in their pocket, but I think that would be absolutely phenomenal. I'm going to butt in on that. I I would bet that we're not going to see a tile replacement. We're going to see something more like a fob that you keep on yourself. Hmm. That, I think, makes a lot more sense. Just put it on your key ring and there, your home knows where you are. So I will add my vote to uh, occupancy in some way. And I think this is actually one of those where Apple could even... Even just expose occupancy as a trigger, I think, would go a long way because and there there exist occupancy sensors for rooms that are you know outside of motion sensors that you know the the convoluted and uh, automations that I have to do in my house you know through HomeKit to do something like just turn on the bathroom light at night when someone gets up and then turn it back off again you know could easily be solved by by occupancy. The other, as far as categories of devices, you know, I think a, a couple of things. I think we need to go big and we need to go small here. I think there's room for things. You know, I think there needs to be some sort of flexibility to do small devices, coffee makers, that kind of stuff that, you know, we, we, I currently work around through, you know, smart plugs and that kind of thing. But I think we're to the point where, you know, just like the, the iRobot that Zach mentioned, you know, these kind of things are, are cool. And a lot of people who are on the techie end of things, you know, are going to buy a smart, you know, we had to, to do a smart coffee maker. I had to go back to the dumbest coffee maker I could find that would work with an that would work with an on off uh, plug on off yeah and the other thing is you know haven't brought up things like homebridge yet but the other category when we get when we got into our new house we got I ended up having to and this is a first first admission hard to admit on a, a homekit focused is is <laughs> dipped into the Samsung smart things ecosystem for washer mm-hmm. and dryer 
and I'm one of the you. smart refrigerators. And I'm not going to, not to speak too ill of Samsung, but the implementation is terrible. And yes. it, uh, is, <laughs> is a device, is a device category that I would love to see HomeKit integrate. You know, I've worked around it with, with a little bit of HomeBridge magic. You know, the other thing being we're, we're putting the finishing touches of putting in a pool. And, you know, my neighbor is actually a, a big smart home geek and has a pool and they've, he showed me the, the right smart home or, uh, Homebridge plugins to get the, the pool lighting, the pool stuff to work. And that's, you know, again, you know, Homebridge opens up a lot, but I wish we didn't need to do that quite so much. Hmm. Yeah. With Homebridge, I'm always concerned. I, I do rely on it for one of the televisions, um, to work with HomeKit because LG is like a 2017, uh, OLED and, and they're like 2018 and newer, um, for, for HomeKit. But I'm always concerned that the next iOS update will break this. You know, you're just like one point update away from it falling apart. So I don't want to be too reliant on it. You also have to have an always on Mac or an always on Raspberry Pi or something, which is just one more potential break in the chain. So yeah, we use Synology um, mm -hmm. network attached storage for that, but it's kind of, I mean, if it was just for that, it would be overkill, you know, but, but totally. Yeah. This raises a good point about, I think why some of us shy away from certain things is like to a certain extent, you don't want to have to be an IT admin at your home Yep, and supporting all this stuff and keeping it running. Like, you know, even sometimes on the weekends, I don't necessarily want to do installs of this stuff. I feel like I deal with tech all week at work. I don't yeah. necessarily want to go home and do it too. And so that's why I haven't done it, gone into Homebridge and stuff like that is because I don't want to support this stuff when it breaks. So, you know, I want stuff that's reliable and works. You know, I spend the time to put it in the first time and then I don't have to deal with it. I know the feeling. And from the nine to five Mac perspective of, you know, if I've got a cool experience that requires Homebridge, I do not want to support like a hundred thousand people asking me for help. You know? <laughs> Even worse. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that earlier. The other one I was going to say that I would love to see, and this is probably a work in progress on Apple's end is, I would like to see the Apple TV and the home and the home pod get a little more functionality. You know, it's, it's in there, it's in the home app, but you know, one of the things I would really like to do is have an automation that just triggers when I turn on the Apple TV, turn on my bias lights, turn off the lights in the room. You know, this should not be a particularly complicated thing. And I just hope we're, we're just slowly iterating to that, but yeah, I want all for more Apple TV integration with HomeKit. Expose like when when we got that where bridges showed up in the Home app and the Apple TV showed up as a bridge in your home. I was like, oh yay, there's Apple TVs in the Home app. We're going to be able to do st no, nope, none of <laughs> nothing. That. So nothing. Yeah, good. I think that was that was disappointed. And uh, I was going to say to the earlier point of maintaining things too, uh, you know, Zach said something about um, something Federico put out um, to get uh, Roomba working uh, with shortcuts. It's like, I love Federico, very brilliant, you know, smart mind on things like that. But same thing, like, that's just too much work for me. I don't want to go that far to do that. I'll just go the, you know, another route. So and I never would have figured it out on my own without his insight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I haven't tried Homebridge yet, just for all the reasons that you've mentioned. I worry about it stopping working sometime, probably when I'm away, of course, because that's how that works. And I, I also, you know, I, I don't want to have to set up yet another server somewhere running something. I've been through that phase. 
Not that I don't think they want to do this. I am positive Apple does not want to be supporting the kind of consumers that are like, oh, yeah, I'll just set up a Raspberry Pi and do that. That's not where their target mm, is, right? Yeah. So I, I wouldn't be at all surprised and if they decide, you know what, we're, we, we have to make this change. It's going to hurt the home bridge users, but it's too bad. We have to do this to be able to get to the next release. I'm not willing to put up with that. Now, that said, Homebridge, I know, helps a lot of people with a lot of stuff. Dan, you haven't mentioned, do you use Homebridge? Um, I don't really have any kind of smart setup because my previous place that I was in was not something I wanted to invest a lot of time and money into doing any kind of automation. Hmm. Now, my new place, though, is much different. It's much bigger. Um, I've got a lot more rooms. I've got more space. I've got other things that need it. I'm the type of person who, if I absolutely need to do something, I will figure out a way to do it. But as a introductory thing, I think I will sure. stick with the, you know, what I can do from the basic thing. And then, you know, if I run into a scenario where I need to branch out or something, I mean, I have a Raspberry Pi, I have a Synology, I can do that stuff if I want to. But I'm also a by myself person, so I'm much more tolerant of wanting to go in and mess around with stuff. Whereas Jake, on the other hand, Absolutely. he's got uh, you know family and other things where yep. you know, and I I know he's been running Homebridge uh, for a little while. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I'll say that the Homebridge, you know, Richard mentioned, you know, Apple cutting off Homebridge. I think the bigger issue that I've run into, and I don't run much on Homebridge anymore, you know, but I, you know, back in the early days when it came out and it was the way, the one that always. Uh, this strikes me. The example I have is uh, before they released the, the official HomeKit compatibility, I used uh, Homebridge for the Chamberlain MyQ uh, garage door. And at, at some point along the line, Chamberlain changed their APIs. So the <laughs> the HomeKit plugin stopped working. You know, everything that was working well wasn't, you know, try to figure out what and then, you know, rely on the, you know, some obviously unpaid Homebridge developer to to update to the new API. So you know, not only are you worried about Apple eventually pulling the plug, but you're worried about developers, you know, or device manufacturers who may or may not care about that to begin with, you know, changing their their way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fun uh, side story. Tian, the guy who started Homebridge, briefly had a job at Apple, you know, unfortunately tweeted the wrong thing at some point and got fired. But you know, I love to think about the alternative universe where he was still there and then maybe tried to do more there or, or was a part of the team because I've, I've met the guy, very nice guy, extremely brilliant and, um, you know, really knows his stuff. So unfortunate the way that went down, I, I really would have loved to see him, you know, a part of that team. Yeah, with, with Tian, I think it was a situation where the tweet was like, no one was harmed. It was like a code name, like something server related. And it was like, this thing is out now, you know, or something, or I wonder what happened with that. But uh, that's too bad. And he is brilliant because there was one night where he messaged me on Twitter and was like, what's your email address, your Apple ID? Uh, I'm going to show you something. And so I gave it to him and then he turned my lights off. And he was, he was <laughs> yeah. he had found a flaw in HomeKit that if you just had the person's Apple ID, you could remotely control their home. And that was wow. scary. Just their wow. email. Just their email, which is publicly available for a lot of people. Wow. And, um, and his frustration was he had been working with Apple and they didn't, they didn't fix it in time. So then he went to me and then I was working with Apple and it took like us saying, okay, we're going to run the story now for them to fix it. And what they had to do to, to, to do a temporary fix was turn off remote access. 
And, uh, and so they, they did that. And then the next software update fixed it, but it was like super tense, you know? So maybe it's good that he is on the outside and he can, you know, make moves like that and <laughs> to push the security forward. True. I know he has found multiple bugs like that, including maybe one in provisioning. And, um, whenever they just upped their bug bounties or whatever, I remember he tweeted something of like, I wish this was true, you know, a while back because I yeah. would have gotten paid 500 grand or whatever. So <laughs> yeah, extremely bright guy. And yeah, he's been doing, uh, you know, good work on the outside for yeah. sure. Apple's attitude and from a PR perspective was like, nobody else will find this. It's okay. He, he's got history with us. So he just, no, it's like, no, he knows stuff. Like he's, he was with you because he knows stuff. So. Security by obscurity is no way to run a protocol and they, people should know that. Yeah. It freaked my family out too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a few things for me. Um, Jake, I want to ask you maybe later about your Samsung smart things, uh, home, home bridge stuff, mm-hmm. because we, my wife bought the Samsung washer and dryer set because they looked nice and they happen to have smart stuff. And so we both tried it and just, it was not, we, we couldn't do enough with it to even worry about setting it up and maintaining it. So I'm, I'm curious what you can do with, with Homebridge. Um, maybe that'll make it useful for the first time. And our, our range is also a Samsung Wi-Fi connected thing. So yeah, we've got the, the washer dryer and the refrigerator. We, and you know, not to, not to tangent too much, but you know, one of the biggest things we use it for is just, push notifications when the, the wash and the dryer are almost done. Oh, nice. So yeah, on the watch. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. If it was home kit, like integrated, you could do a whole lot more exactly. like cycles and, and, you know, add more time. But one more thing on home bridge, the, I've got one home kit TV that's airplay two and, and home kit from uh, LG. And it's, so it's home kit out of the box, but it's not that reliable. And I haven't figured out how to make it reliable. And Tian wrote the plugin for the LG OLED I have that is not HomeKit out of the box, and that one's more reliable. So that's concerning. <laughs> Another example of why you should be on the team. And then, and then a, like a just setup experience frustration is that um, we're Lutron light switches and fan switches throughout the house, and those are like the most reliable things I've ever used. And they even make things for lamps where you can plug the lamp into the, the this power adapter, and then that mm-hmm. controls dimming. Mm-hmm. But there's something really satis- satisfying about walking around like clicking lamps off when they're accessible, mm. and when they're when they're not like I've got a new floor lamp in the living room, and we just haven't done anything with it yet because it's super easy to turn it off with a switch. But once you make it HomeKit, you've got to ignore the switch and figure out a way that, to address it in a way that makes sense to everybody. So that's that's a big opportunity, I think, for something to solve. And then lastly, just in terms of what you can do without involving home bridge or things like that, I've got a number of, since I've been in that, in this house, automations that I've set up, not from like, let me go find one, but I wonder if I can do this. Oh, I can. And I think I'm at like maybe 10 automations so far, which feels like a lot compared to what I used to use over the years. But things like having the HomePod and AirPlay 2 speakers throughout the house change to 30% at midnight so that every morning when I address them, they're not all the way down, but they're not all the way up from like yesterday. You're going to have to share that one with me. I need to figure yeah. out how to set HomePod volumes. This is probably my wife's biggest frustration is when I, you know, go to invoke the good night scene and Siri starts screaming as the kids are in, you know, in, in bed. So, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll renew my plea for a shut the blank up Siri mode on yeah. all of these, these products, you know, as a, as a future feature request, you know, in general, but. You know, the other, uh, 
Yeah. The other, the other stuff I completely, you completely agree with, with that. <laughs> yeah. And I've got one that, um, 7 a.m. daily, the bedroom fan turns off because if it doesn't, it'll stay on 24 <laughs> seven. You know, we, we sleep with it on, but like no one turns it off and it's just using energy. This brings up an interesting idea for me is there would be an interesting, uh, you know, space to share automations. I wish Apple or someone had a repository or example page or something. Cause one of the ones that I've been playing around with. You know, and I see you had the, you guys have the abode, you know, I have the Honeywell Lyric and, you know, and one of the things we've got a new puppy and one of the things that I've been wrestling with, and it, and it made me get real creative with uh, automations really uh, quickly is trying to figure out how to take the puppy out at night without, you know, while I'm half asleep, trying to remember to deal with the alarm system. So, you yeah. know, things like, you know, so I came up with some automations, like, you know, if the if the automatic lock, if the lock is disabled with the code, which means someone who knows it, then, you know, at night, then the, then the lyric will disarm itself. And then, you know, during certain hours, then when the door is locked, it will rearm itself. So, you know, I basically, you know, connected the two, you know, I think the the initial question when I mentioned the lyric on our show was, what can you do with home kits, you know, and an alarm system that that makes it useful and things like that are, are, are making that case. I'm there right now with my with my TV. I have one of the more I think I, the first LG that supported HomeKit. I waited for that one, and I'm kind of like, meh, meh, you know, yes. what 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 all can I do here? That's exciting. I I've yet to figure it out. You know, we're getting into more and more of these devices, and it's kind of been a uh, a common thing that people have been joking and pointedly and otherwise about various things and. We're talking with Hep, and she had on uh, our show that just came out uh, this week, but we recorded it uh, a little while back, where she had mentioned that she now had a a wireless-enabled cat toy, that she had updated the firmware on this cat toy (laughs) for her cat. And now we're, you know, obviously in this type of home automation thing, we've got things that have more firmware, more processors, more other things going on inside of them. And to me, that brings up two points because because I've been dealing with this, uh, not necessarily a home automation context, but in other contexts as well is number one, how long manufacturers continue to support these things. Number two, whether the manufacturer, whether at the mercy of a manufacturer being quote on or off for something to keep working or otherwise. And number three, the reality is that unless you know how to set up a VLAN in your house and kind of cordon off all of this stuff, how are you going to prevent your smart fridge from joining a botnet and other things like that? And I know all of you have uh, definitely have some opinions on this. Uh, this time we'll start with Richard and go around the horn. Uh, I'm just going to give a shameless plug right for ahead. our upcoming episode of the Smart Home Show, where we specifically address the support issue. We mm-hmm. had an entire episode where we talk about the the life cycle of products and how do manufacturers support them and what can consumers do to kind of protect themselves along that vein. Excellent. We'll have to make sure... Uh, that's coming out uh, real soon now, trademark, or is it already out? Well, depending uh, on when this hits, we're <laughs> expecting it may hit around the same time. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, I, I liked your concern about how long will this thing from 2014 you bought be maintained? <laughs> you know, and, and we've already seen things. Um, I think I think Hugh had fixed something or were in the process of fixing something. But, you know, lesser companies or, you know, whatever, how long will they be interested uh, or even available to do that? 
and and that's where HomeKit routers, which are kind of just nebulous as to what they will do, mm-hmm. um, come into play. Because I think the only point of a HomeKit router is that it f- sort of firewalls each accessory from each other. So if one goes rogue, they can't affect your whole HomeKit network. That's I, I'm not an expert in that area yet, and they're not out yet, but that's my understanding at least. Kind of like doing automated VLANs so people don't get in trouble. I dug a little bit into the HomeKit router thing, and I have mixed opinions on this. I think one of the, I guess, intentions of this is they want they want to be able to take a device and uh, allow only HomeKit stuff to come from it. So if you want to cut off all other communication other than HomeKit communication, you can do that. And that's one of the modes in the HomeKit router thing. And as a manufacturer, there are reasons why we need that device to talk to the cloud. And if you ever want a software update, you might want to still be able to talk to the cloud. So in theory, you know, they're going to talk with manufacturers and understand what the critical things are that you need to support still for stuff like that. But there's a mode where you essentially could nerf a device and, and make it a lot less capable if you really want it to be HomeKit only and not have any other cloud functions. So, by the way, your Amazon integration is going to stop working. Your Google integration is going to stop working. And you might not get software updates, but the HomeKit's going to work great. Yeah, for me, I think as long as there's an escape hatch on that where mm-hmm. you can go backwards and say, okay, I missed out on this feature. Now it's here. Let me go and make this available to that service is cool. We've also seen with HomeKit Secure Video for the first time, Apple doing firmware updates from, in my experience so far, Logitech's firmware update for their camera would go through, I guess it gets submitted to Apple and then Apple releases it, even though it's Logitech's nice. hardware. And um, as far as Logitech is concerned, your your HomeKit camera your Circle 2, for example, is no longer viewed by Logitech's app. It's it's strictly a an Apple camera now. Hmm. Um, and, and maybe you get updates later than you would otherwise, but they at least they still come from Logitech, but they're deployed by Apple, is, is my understanding, at least. Because of my kind of experience in this comes from dealing with large-scale, very expensive devices that corporations buy that have not just expected lifetimes, but are working in production. Like for me, 99% of the time, the things I'm dealing with are wide format printers, plate imagers, and all the stuff that goes along with that. And you'd be surprised how many people I still get who, I mean, I I know I'm not sure how much you guys are in the world or are aware of like the technology behind printing and prepress and things like that but there's still people out there using violet plate setters that were introduced around the turn of the century and they're slowly going away but it's a case where all of a sudden whether your front end supports it or you run into a situation where oh the catcher that accepts the tiffs or whatever that then drives that thing is stuck on a certain operating like you can't upgrade it past windows xp or windows 7 or something like that and all of a sudden you say well you know due to some other thing we get uh forklifted and you have this i won't say paperweight but you have this two hundred and fifty thousand dollar piece of equipment that the oem is still kind of eh, we're still kind of supporting it but you know at some point i think we have to deal with the fact that if we're going to start introducing that stuff into our regular household appliances it's not just okay i bought this one fridge and this fridge happens to last for 20 years because the fridge lasts for 20 years now we have to think about how long the actual expected technical lifetime of these things is going to be and i'm not sure how many people 
really want to make those things. It's one thing when you have a device that costs $250,000, you're paying a $10,000 year service contract because you're generating $3 million worth of revenue because you've made that investment. Nobody does that when they're talking about their dishwasher or their washing machine or their fan controller or other things. And hopefully most OEMs are smart enough to say, okay, things will still, if we go out of business, things will still work. But I was reading an article the other day about these Under Armour connected scales that were functionally bricked because they said, eh, we, we, we're not interested in doing that anymore. They turned off a server and now all of a sudden these things don't work. And hopefully, I mean, Adam, I know you guys and your stuff, you're, I have a feeling that most companies that are doing this stuff are, have actually thought about this and are, you know, it's kind of morbid. Nobody wants to think about, oh, what happens if we go out of business? But if I'm buying this stuff to go into my house, I'm more advanced than a regular consumer. I'm going to be thinking about this. But, you know, if my mom goes out and buys a new fridge that happens to have all these smart things in it, obviously she's going to come ask me and say, what do you think about this? But what's what's your your guys's take on, you know, that sort of scenario? Episode 178. You yeah. all need to listen to episode 178. Yep. Okay. Yeah. We'll we, we, we go deep into this on, on episode 178. But the one the one point I make on that show, and I'll, I'll make here because we're talking about HomeKit, is that, you know, the good news is if we went on a business tomorrow, the HomeKit functionality on all of our devices as it stands today on whatever today's HomeKit spec is would still stand. And so, you know, I think that's a great piece of you know, investing in things that support HomeKit is that to a certain extent, that's, you know, that will always work regardless of, you know, if the company's servers get turned off or, or whatever, you know, that HomeKit functionality, uh, so long as Apple supports it, um, will continue to work. One thing that I really enjoy that it's just not obvious when you think about HomeKit, but just from this perspective of, of having things sent for testing is um, Eve has this outdoor sensor that um, measures the temperature and humidity and that's it. And, um, I've got it on my front door and it's like the old fashioned temperature gauge when you, you know, you see outside and it's mm-hmm. like the, you know, the liquid and everything. And that's what it is. And so for visitors, it's that, but modern. And for me, it's one of my favorite accessories. So I can pull down control center and see the temperature, not for my zip code, but for my house, like outside my front yard and humidity, which in, in South Mississippi on the Gulf coast is a really big deal because those two things in combination make a big difference. And then also I can ask Siri, like, what is, what is the weather, you know, outside front door, for example. And those are things that are kind of out of the box, not obvious with HomeKit, but, but they're, they're appreciated. Well, and it's funny because they learned that, right? Their first version of their outdoor weather sensor was simply a square block, like all of their other devices. And that was part of that first round that they hit the market with before any other manufacturer had devices out there. They were the first to get a weather sensor out. I literally just yesterday set up the Eve Extend mm. so that I could actually read the outdoor <laughs> weather sensor from more than an iPhone that happened to be 10 feet away from it at the yeah. time because their range on those early devices was so bad. Now they have a bridge that you can buy. That only works with their stuff. Of course. That only works with their stuff. And <laughs> no thank you. Was. But thank you, Bluetooth. Really? That's yeah. more that's probably more of a Bluetooth thing than anything else. I'm still salty because we were gonna make a bridge and then they pulled it from the spec. So 
Uh, you know, uh, we basically had that done and then they decided, you know, nope, you know, if you want a bridge for HomeKit, you're going to have to buy a Apple TV or a, a HomePod. So, meh. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we've had a really interesting discussion today because, number one, thank you, Adam and Richard, for joining us. Uh, you guys have been fantastic guests and you've really provided a lot of insight. And I loved how you guys bounced off uh, Zach and Jake and everybody in the room. I, I really feel like we had, uh, you know, some some really good energy in here with everybody. I think it's probably a good idea, you know, just go around the table Get our final thoughts, maybe what we'd like to see happen in iOS 14 slash 2020 going on in the future. You know, what do we want to see this year? You know, and where do you guys feel we are here at the at the end of the show? We'll start with uh, Adam. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I don't know what I want to see in iOS 14 other than just more, you know, more support for HomeKit, uh, more integration and more things that can be done with uh, shortcuts and just you know, more signs of life. I think one of the ways that I measure this a little bit is WWDC sessions and time. Mm-hmm. And over the last couple of years, I'm just be fully honest and transparent. Like uh, the attention at WWDC has been waning and, you know, the session was on the last day um, two years ago. Last year, there was no session. Two years ago, there were two labs. Last year, there was one lab. So if we get down to no labs, no sessions this year, I'm going to be really worried about the state of HomeKit. So, um, and I'm I'm even questioning if, if I'm going to go to WDC this year. We'll see. So that's one of my barometers for like, how important is this to Apple? So, you know, if we saw, you know, a big session and a bunch of new stuff and all that, and I think some of where that comes from, too, is like the things like HomeKit Secure Video, where they're really just working with these five companies. They don't really need to, you know, march out and do a whole session about that. So but, you know, some of it is also giving developers the pieces they need to build those great third party apps, too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, anything, anything to make it easier on manufacturers and the certification process, I would welcome and uh, just, you know, more signs of life uh, would be great for me. Cool. We'll go to Zach next. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks, um, Jake and Dan, for this. This is oh, no know, problem. Uh, so, welcome. something I can put out on the uh, the 9 to 5 Mac happy hour feed and not have to organize myself. This has turned out <laughs> wonderful. Uh, <laughs> it did none of the admin work. But yeah, like, I wouldn't mind seeing we've, we've had years where there were like literally nothing new in HomeKit for consumers to take advantage of. And like writing about it is just very little. Um, so it's just about products coming to market, but I wouldn't mind if we had a, a year where there's, you know, and, and it is kind of like cliched and, and Apple software quality, but a year where it's, it's, it's the, the attention to home kit is that, you know, we, we made this thing for iOS eight, lots changed in five years. What can we do if we just rewrote it with modern, with, with new engineers, for example, or, you know, maybe, Maybe there's some just more efficient things you could do these days and in a way that doesn't affect any accessories, you know, maintain compatibility, but it's just that the, the actual home app and home kit framework is just way more solid. Or there's, there's recommendations for if you want the best experience, you know, use this group of routers. You don't really have that yet. And we, we've seen, uh, like just last year, CarPlay, for example, mm-hmm. had that 2.0 feature yep. where there was, it, it did get a lot of new features, but they also called it a rewrite where it was like CarPlay 2.0. And the only thing there was it was just supposed to be much more responsive and stable and faster and everything. So I would not mind that for HomeKit. UI-wise, it's funny. Like, I, I think it works 
but there's probably a rethinking that could be applied. And I don't know if a third party app could do that or not, but uh, in, a, in a way that is, you know, what, what they'd want to do. But there's definitely an opportunity there just UI wise. But for me, it's like if I could eliminate the 15 unresponsive devices right now <laughs> with, with, with having three home pods and an Apple TV and an iPad that can all be the hub and having, you know, the Apple promoted Linksys Velop mesh routers, you know, enough to cover my home. It's like, I'm not sure what else to do to avoid that, but it's, it's a thing that happens, you know, and, and, um, just, I want solid ground to build this house on. <laughs> Absolutely. Everything begins with a good foundation. <laughs> Indeed. All right, uh, Richard. I would say that I'm generally positive on HomeKit. I've been really happy with what they've been doing overall. I've tried to keep my expectations in check because I've seen over the years how many other companies have tripped and failed in trying to do this. I feel like Amazon ran at this so hard when they started that they ended up creating a, a complicated patchwork that is just beyond what a lot of consumers can deal with, particularly where that app is concerned. Yikes, what a mess. Has Amazon ever written a good actual piece of software? No, the software, the, uh, other than selling, <laughs> other than their recommendation engine on Amazon.com, I'm not sure. I will but, give credit to the back end of Amazon S3. Their back end web interface is actually quite good. But that's not I'm, an yeah, end user piece of software. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So, you know, I think the home app experience is probably among the best, most approachable control experiences that most that most manufacturers offer, that, that really any company is offering people. I can't imagine putting any other company's app in front of everybody in a home. It just, it, I don't see how that works. Mm. So now that said, I feel like in 13, they ended up really complicating things and failing to fix some of the most basic things. Like, I don't know, a home icon to switch rooms, like still really that what, I, there's some basic stuff that they need to, to clear up there. As far as where I want to see it go, the day that I'm going to be happy, and this isn't going to be until 23 at the earliest, the day that I'll be happy is if I can see my Nest thermostat <laughs> on my HomeKit ecosystem without having to use HomeBridge. That's going to make me happy. We got to tear down these walls between the ecosystems. It's, I think it's killing competition in many, many areas. Mm. And last but not least, Jake. Uh, you know, I think it's probably a good problem to have. You know, I, I'm kind of like Richard. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty positive on where this is going. I'm pretty positive on, on the future. It's probably a good problem to have that my complaints are really more of the, of the geeky technical. And, you know, one of the things I would desperately love to see, and I think it would solve a lot of frustration from a lot of the people who are doing the home administration, you know, task in their house is, you know, some sort of error reporting tool, some sort of exposure you know, to a log to figure out where the problem lies, you know, your 15 unresponsive apps, why are they, is, is the, is the network problem? Is the device itself, you know, give me, give me a clue, you know, not responding does not, does not help me. The other thing would be just more unity. You know, I, I think figuring out, you know, that the HomePod can do this, that the, you know, the watch can do this, that, you know, this, some exposure is in this app. Some of us, you know, I just a, a more unified 
you know, discoverable process for everybody to make it friendly and approachable to everybody in the home. And that's been, you know, my long-term goal, you know, to make the whole home, you know, like, like mine, like, like Zach's, like some other people's, you know, to make that, you know, more of a feel less like a piecemeal process, maybe pairing with a builder, you know, or something and just really figuring out this from this, this out from the ground up. Yeah. And they've got those builders that are partners that they promote where they will build a, a home kit home. But like, I wonder how we, we've looked at one a few years ago for nine to five Mac and did a video, but I wonder how they update every year. If they, you know, now they, they take advantage of the latest stuff or if they just have like a basic list of things they do mm. from years ago and it's not maintained. Um, that's a curiosity. My, from what I know about that, uh, most of those home builders abandoned those programs and they <laughs> moved on to other ecosystems yeah. or trying to move towards something that supports all the major ecosystems because mm-hmm. really segmenting to only, you know, building for one, you know, was, uh, majorly limiting. Right. All right. Well, guys, thank you for joining us on this, uh, lovely Saturday afternoon. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Your closing thoughts? My closing thoughts. Oh, boy. Uh, my closing thoughts is <laughs> let me get to the end of 2020 and maybe have a working automated fan and light in my living room. Uh, that's the first That's the first thing. I mean, as the person who is usually the observer when Jake puts uh, the HomeKit Chronicles segment together, I do think Adam had a very good point that I noticed that he mentioned about the thing about WWDC because – when we did our WWDC session back in July of last year, when I was looking through the the session list, I'm like, I'm not seeing a lot of HomeKit in here. And Apple is a now large, faceless, you know, trillion dollar corporation that it's become. It's not just HomeKit that sort of faced these sort of, how would you say, these sort of hurdles where it's like you have a big family, you know, you have several children and they're all trying to get attention from the parents. And the parents only have so much time that they can divide between all the children. And unfortunately, some of the children might get lost behind the cracks or <laughs> underneath the clothes rack at Sears or however it may end up happening. I I mean, for me, I'm just hoping that, you know, we don't end up in a scenario where we have another thing where Apple just decides out of nowhere, say, eh, we don't really care about that anymore. Uh, it's feature complete. It's finished now. Yeah. Well, well, I, yeah. I would hope that they don't do that because <laughs> the reality is that the competition in this segment is fierce. And this is about a controlling hearts and minds sort of situation. And Apple is, you know, not always going to be in control of people's hearts and minds. You can't just let something say, yeah, we'll just let that go and collect the revenue. You can't let that happen, as we saw with the Mac Pro and various other things. You know, you have to pay attention to the market. You can't just let it go on autopilot. The longer it goes on autopilot, the more people start to tune out or will – you can only go with that for so long is what I'm saying. And at least for my final thought to put on it is if I can at least be – satisfied that the investment I'm even in this place that I'm, you know, renting, I'm going to be here for a while. If the investment that I can put in here will still be a good investment in five years, and I'll still have a future in five years to say, what can I do from there? That's what I am hoping for. And I I have a feeling that all of you guys probably have a a similar feeling on that as well. Well, Dan, I I would just say I've rented homes and and had home kit ceiling fans and lights. And the the two things that come to mind, one is if you've got on the light on the wall, a control for your light and your fan, 
then my solution would be to do a Lutron fan controller. That's what, um, that's what Jake had suggested. Um, on the and, wall, there's the like this one slider that as far as I can tell, doesn't do anything, but yeah. So if you've got a yeah. combo, yeah. then, then you, <laughs> then you probably want to look at replacing the whole fan with like a Hunter HomeKit fan. And then you've got a remote for that and it's HomeKit and it's like an all in one thing, but I've totally replaced ceiling fans and, and homes that I rented and then reverted them <laughs> Put back. the old one back you know? in. Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, it, it lived out in the shed. I have, in <laughs> doing know. some research, I have found some fan controllers that, because this light already has a wireless fan control that's already routed into it. Uh, my understanding is that there are some that you can basically wire in place and, you there know, are. not, not have to go and do it. But that's, that's like in my hierarchy of needs of living. That's in like my third item down. It's like right now, it's like all these boxes and I'm, I'm lucky i have a network working right now is what i'm, is what I'm saying Light, lighting and cooling is very important yes makes yeah sense. that uh thermostats uh, that's another thing i was i was thinking about the those are very easy is, to replace they are and from here from where i used to be it was electric baseboard heat here now I'm, it's gas it's gas heat and my old place had actually very nice, like, programmable thermostats in all the rooms. They weren't smart, but you could say, oh, in the morning, do this, afternoon, do this, blah, blah, The thermostat that's here is a very dumb thermostat, so I'm, I'm I also think there's, I think there's room well. in the future for a uh, home kit for renters episode yes. of, uh, of, of some of this totally. stuff. Yeah, that's... There you go. Yeah, because this is, a, like I said, it's a place that is much nicer. I'm more willing to do the kind of, okay, if I put something in, I'm more willing to yank it out in the future if I decide to move. But I was in my last yeah. place for six years. If, I, if I'm if i here for that amount of time, I'd consider that fair enough. <laughs> yeah, change your lock, but not the outside lock. Yep. Just to you know, maintain the key, and there's a lot of cool things <laughs> yeah, you can do. Ex exactly. A lot of experience there. So yeah, so again, guys, thank you for joining us here on the show. It's been a, I think this has been a, a great program that everybody has uh, has put into today. I think we'll just, you know, make sure everybody can plug their shows and what they're doing and everything else. Uh, myself, you can find me on Twitter at Kefka Floyd. Uh, you can find our show at Icon Garden Show on Twitter. You can visit our website at IconGardenShow.com. And you can also visit our Ars Forum thread. It's a bit.ly slash TIGS thread. You can leave comments and stuff there, or you can bother us at, uh, at any other place. We'll go around the horns for all of our contact stuff. Uh, Jake, where can people find you on the internet if you want to be found? Other than the, um, than the above, I'm still on Twitter at Jake Pugh. And on the Rs forums as autopilot. All right, Zach. I you can read me at nine to five mac dot com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Apollo Zach and uh, a couple of podcasts that I do, nine to five Mac Happy Hour and Nine to Five Mac Watch Time. And if you're into space stuff, I've recently done a deep dive into space and I'm building a new project called Space Explored. So look for that in the future. Your space, space stuff is explored. awesome, by the way. Just wanted to shout that out. It's great stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, spaceexplorer.com is coming. It's it's on it's on the way. So uh, you you'll, you'll be able to find that pretty soon. Cool. And Adam and Richard, you guys go ahead. Sure, uh, Adam Justice. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice. Uh, you can find Richard and my show at smarthome.fm uh, or on you know whatever podcast client you want. Uh, the Smart Home Show. And uh, everything my company's doing at ConnectSense.com, shameless plug, uh, go buy an in-wall outlet available on <laughs> ConnectSense.com or Amazon. Give, give them a little plug. They, they are great. And uh, Richard? All right. Well, he already promoted the Smart Home Show, so I'll promote my other show, Home On, and that's really geared toward DIY home automation hobbyists. So give that a, a check if you're interested. 
It's out at thedigitalmediazone.com, which is also where I write and cover smart home tech and media tech. And you can find me on Twitter at Richard Gunther. Again, thank you guys for joining us here on the show today. And uh, I'll let you all exit out the way that you choose to leave. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, nice talk to you guys. Bye. Thanks. All right. See you.